0: I'm Max Schreiber, the editor of World's Review, and uh, we thought we'd bring back the regular podcast with uh, at least some signs that baseball perhaps could be ready to resume uh, pretty soon. And so, joining me, as usual, Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you holding up? Good, good. Glad to be back.
1: Uh, hopefully, we can get things going again. But always nice to talk to my good friend Max.
0: <laughs> are you? Uh, are you back in the office now, or are you still working from home?
1: No, we'll be, we'll be uh, WFH for a while here. Uh, they opened up our office's 20% capacity, um, and for only those who wanted to go back. And so they said, hey, who wants to come back to work at the office? And
0: nobody <laughs> yeah, raised their hand. Yeah, that's a hard sell. Down. Yeah. Well, also joining us remotely is uh, David Lusky. And David, uh, how are you holding up?
2: Oh, you know, <laughs> I'm bored. <laughs> Pretty much. That's, that, that's about the gist of it. Um, well.
0: What what is your? uh,
2: It's been a long, long, long journey.
0: What uh? What non-essential businesses are you eager to to get out there and visit once uh, things open up? I
2: honestly I don't know because like the things I miss the most are things that I'm not sure I really want to go back to (laughs) anytime soon. Because like I really, it's so stupid, but I really miss sitting in a restaurant.
0: Yeah. Like just just
2: the act of ordering food, not having to drive to get it and bring it home, not having to throw you know all that stuff, just eating and leaving. At paying, of course, too. Um, but I really miss that. But I don't. I don't know that I'm gonna go back to a restaurant for a while, even though they're open now. I just. It seems. Uh, I don't know.
0: Yeah, what I've really learned during this quarantine is that there is a distinction between foods that carry out really well, like pizza <laughs> yes. and Chinese food, and then foods that don't really travel very well. Like hamburgers don't seem to travel very well at all. The, the bun. Gets it, unless soggy. you
2: live, see, I live down the road from a place called Maloney's mm-hmm. in Overland Park. Um, I love it. I'm literally a minute and a half drive away. Yeah. Those hamburgers travel fine because it's a minute and a half. Yeah, Much longer than that, and you're dead on about that. Now, I will say, too, me Ranchito, I don't love it, but it is so good takeout. It's oh, better really? takeout than in the restaurant, just for the record, okay. in my opinion. That's good to know. <laughs>
1: We all three live close together, it sounds like, because I live right near downtown Lombard Park, and Max, I think you live near that too. So. <laughs> oh,
2: so yeah, so we're we're near we're all nearby. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, with other businesses opening, uh, I guess baseball is talking about opening up as well, and it seems like we're at least a, a step closer, perhaps, to getting some baseball on the field. This week we learned that MLB owners came to agreement with, among themselves on a proposal to submit to the Players' Union, to begin spring training around mid-June with a target date of beginning the regular season around early July. Uh, there'd be a schedule of around 80 games with limited travel with AL Central teams pretty much playing within their division, maybe some games against the NL Central and perhaps a few games outside of the division, but they wanted to restrict travel. Uh, there'd be universal DH in both leagues this year. The playoffs would be expanded from five teams to seven teams in each league with the top team getting a first round bye. Uh, and then uh, players would... or Players would have to approve upon this proposal, of course, Uh, and already there is some objection, not so much to the plan, but to the idea that owners would want them to split revenues 50-50 due to the lack of gate revenue if there's no fans. Now, players had already agreed uh, with owners on a a proposal back in March to uh, prorate their salaries based on the number of games, so if there's an 80-game schedule, they'll be paid half of what they're expecting to be paid going into this year. But owners want to uh, claw that back even more because of the lack of gate revenue. Uh, And Union Chief Tony Clark has objected to this proposal on the grounds that pegging salaries to any kind of revenues is effectively a salary cap. Now, David, it seems like tensions between owners and players have been rising for a couple of seasons. And, you know, with things kind of icy between the two sides, I mean, it seems like this actually does have the potential to maybe uh, cause a hiccup in things. Uh, Do you see... This is a as it was really jeopardizing the start of the season, or is this maybe just posturing by the union and, and the owners as well to kind of get the best deal in a in a what's going to be a, a tough year for both of them?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't really think it's posturing. Um, I mean, I think the owners have what they want to what they want to give, and the players don't want to take that. Um, but at the same time, I don't really see this jeopardizing a season if if the health factors are okay. And that, thats i mean—that's the biggest question, obviously. But if—if if health allows the players to play, if health allows baseball to happen, I don't see a way it doesn't happen, because the owners have pretty masterfully made it that if it doesn't happen, it's all on the players, and from a PR perspective. So, um, but by coming out with this proposal, by it by it pretty much being known from everybody, even though. Like it really, sh- everything gets it gets leaked, but this really shouldn't be known. It's not, this isn't, nothing's done yet. Um, but by us knowing what their proposal was, if the season doesn't happen, I, I, I think most people would say, well, the players didn't let it happen and, 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 and pin the blame on them. And that's, that's not something the players want to have happen. So I ultimately think something will be worked out, but it, I, I think it could get pretty ugly. Um, and Jeff Passant had a great article on ESPN. His twenty one of his twenty questions pieces, um, basically saying, "Don't get too hung up on the ugliness this week and maybe next week even, because there's prob- I mean there 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 has to be momentum at some point. Um, but I mean boy, it, it, it's it's going to be really hard not to hear the back and forth over the next few days." And and be optimistic about a season, but I, I still I still think it's going to happen. I just think there's too much benefit all around, um, but it's it's not going to be pretty for a little while.
0: No, you mentioned the PR angle, which is interesting because I I agree that I think the the union has been really bad at PR for for really a long time. I think it's gotten worse under Tony Clark, perhaps, but yeah, even going back to like Donald Fair in the '90s, like they did not have the public on their side in in that work stoppage situation. Uh, and I think fans really held it against him for a long time and perhaps probably still hold some resentment even though the if you if you read up on it, I think the players had had a legitimate beef at that at that time uh, with the owners trying to unilaterally change the rules on them uh in this situation I think most people see the 50/50 split as 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 being it seems fair on its face uh and that the objection by Tony Clark saying this would be a salary cap seems a bit unreasonable uh i I do think that they, they the players union does have a stronger case in saying that, look, we already agreed to this back in March. We're already taking a 50% pay cut. And now you're asking, trying to come to us and ask for more. Uh, you know, that, that seems like a, a you know, a, a stretch too far. Uh, if you're a player, I think so. I think they need to do a better job getting that message out there. Cause I think a lot of people are confused. I think a lot of people think, Oh, they're expecting to get their full salary. And of course they're not, they've already agreed not to do that. So I, you know, the, the, Already there, I think the players are losing the PR battle. I think you've seen a lot of people say, you know, people are sacrificing everywhere. These are tough times. Players should be asked to sacrifice as well. The the governor of Illinois, J.B. Pritzker, who's a Democrat, was very critical of players today. He, he was kind of saying, why are they, you know, squabbling over money when other, so many people are struggling? Of course, he's he's doing pretty well financially as a billionaire himself. He's the heir <laughs> of, I think, the Hilton uh, Hotel for, or the Hyatt Hotel fortune. Um, Sean, I know you've written a little bit about baseball finances before the revenues you know if if the owners are willing to split revenues straight up 50 50 that's that kind of sounds fair but on the other hand we know revenues can be kind of hidden uh especially when you have teams with equity stakes in regional sports networks sometimes they take less money from those sports networks in order to get uh the equity stake in there uh because you can also hide revenues in some of those rsn's as well um what concerns if you're with if you're a player right now what concerns would you have with a 50 50 split or does that seem like maybe a fair arrangement to to kind of go into the season
1: well i mean the way i saw it was like think about it like mlb is the only sport of the well the three of the four major sports that doesn't have that salary cap that's tied to well the salary cap that's a reason because they get a, a specific percentage of uh league revenues and when you see and it's been that way forever right um so you so when you see the owners saying like oh sure we'll give you half our revenues you wonder like what their motive is and so it's got to be due to they wouldn't be doing this you know they're not doing this out of the goodness of their hearts um they're doing it because they know that revenues are going to be you know smaller this year um now if i were the players i would say sure we'll split 50 percent right now If we make this, you know, the the same going forward, and we always have it this way, um, because I just did a, just yesterday, I just did like kind of a real quick estimation, and... If you do like player salaries for every team, plus the health benefits, plus I think like the pensions, basically you could round it up. They get about four billion, and MLB made about eleven billion last year. So a fifty percent split would get them almost a billion ish, billion and a half more than they already are getting from salaries. So I mean, it, it's good for them to split fifty fifty, um, but under under normal not circumstances, under the eyes of
0: yeah. you know lower revenues. Right. Well, yeah, I think you make a good point. Like, like the owners would, because I think Passon had an article today where like his kind of of back-of-the-envelope math said, well, you know, the players could make more revenue under a 50-50 split than they could under reduced salaries prorated because they're adding those uh, playoff games, which will bring in added revenues, um, and you don't don't typically have to pay player salaries for the postseason uh, other than the postseason shares. So that could be a way for them to kind of generate more revenue and more to split. But I kind of agree with you. I don't think owners would be offering this if it costs them more money to the players. So maybe in a normal year, a 50-50 split would be good for the players, but um, probably not in, in this kind of year. Yeah. Uh, and so, I think – Yeah, go ahead.
1: Uh, I think a good example of the owners. I mean, listen, we're talking about a group of people who agreed on a five-round draft, and the easiest – the cheapest way to acquire long-term cost-controlled talent is through the draft. So they're basically saying, like – We're going to shorten every. We're going to shorten all the spending we can. We're going to completely kind of handicap our long-term kind of futures in some players. Like they're doing everything to be greedy. And I consider myself maybe one of the few. I wouldn't call myself an owner apologist, but I think I'm one of the few folks maybe on quote unquote baseball Twitter that's like, okay, I can see the owner side of this. They're not always trying to just be greedy, you know, jerks. Uh, And here you can obviously see that they're, you know, just trying to be cheapos. (laughs)
2: <laughs> but I mean, do, do you think too that maybe the reason that they're offering this is to get it out there, so moving forward, it, there is yeah. revenue sharing. I mean, I I think they're trying to push. I think there's a lot of agendas trying to be pushed right now because of this that they think they can get through because of the the weird season, and that yeah. that's that's where I think this comes from. Because I, I do I think you're right. I think they do. I, think, I don't think they benefit from 50 50. I think they, they wouldn't give it if there wasn't a reason. And I think they want revenue sharing rather than, and an, an ultimately a salary cap moving forward.
1: Yeah, it's a good test balloon because if they're also trying to pitch out the, the Universal DH, maybe they're using yeah. this weird season. And I, f- I forget who it was, but somebody mentioned that they should use this season just to try out all the, might have been Dan Zaborski. They, they should use this season to try out all the weird stuff or all the experimental stuff just because it's, you know, the season isn't really going to count for much. You know, if there's a winner, if there's a World Series winner, it's going to have an asterisk by it. So it's a lot of that where it's like, this season is basically written off anyway. Like, let's just try
2: everything out while we're at it. Oh, absolutely. And, and I don't think that's the worst idea either for, you know, I, I'm I'm not against it for what it's worth.
0: <laughs> no, I, did, I definitely agree with that I think a lot of these things are being floated as trial balloons. When the next CBA comes up after 2021, I, the I Universal DH is something... I think a lot of the owners have been pushing for a while. Expanded playoffs is another thing I think they've been, they've kind of been pushing for. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if this is kind of floated out there to at least get people familiar or comfortable with the idea. Also, and I think there is some posturing going on here. I mean, you know, they they they, uh, if they, they I think they also want kind of want to see like how this tests with the public. And like I said, the, the players are already kind of losing the public uh, relations battle as it is. And so if there is kind of a galvanized support for, you know, some sort of tying revenues or tying salaries to revenues, then uh, perhaps that gives them some momentum going into that CBA battle. Uh, but yeah, this looks like, I think, just one step of maybe, you know, many marching towards what very well could be a work stoppage in a year. Uh, David, do you see a way out of this? I mean, you seem a little more optimistic, I guess, than I do um, on, on them coming to an agreement. And look, I mean, they've got a lot of money at stake in playing baseball this year. I mean, obviously, the owners, if they were going to lose money this year, they're not they going to play. Uh, but they, obviously, they see some money to be made this year. So money is a big motivator. But what? what's your, uh, I guess, optimism in, in seeing baseball this year? I mean, tr-
2: truly, it's the money. And again, it goes, the biggest question is the health. And if, if it's not possible to play, if they don't have enough tests to test players every day, if they don't have moving on a treatment and whatever, not a vaccine, but a treatment, if they don't, if that doesn't happen, then none of this conversation matters at all. Cause they can't play. But if assuming that that's at a point where they say, okay, we can get out there with no fans. I can't imagine either side looks at the money that they would be losing and the money that they would be gaining by playing. And they, and they look at that and they say, you know what now, Forget it. No season. So to me, it just... And I've, I've been saying this since March, really, when they, when this all started. Look, there, there's there's just way too much money to be lost for either side to turn their back on this season if they're able to play from a health perspective. And that's, that, that's where I've come from the entire time. And, you know, I think that as states are starting to open up, right or wrong, <laughs> they're basically paving the way for games to be played. And, you know, ultimately... They're, they're probably going to find a number that works. Um, and I, I just, I, I I don't really see another alternative for them. Again, all of this is always assuming that they can play from a health standpoint.
0: You know, uh, Sean, I was thinking about, you know, the players, the owners are, you know, I, I, you do have to feel, I guess maybe some sympathy for them in that they are going to be out a lot of money with, with no gate revenue this year. Uh, now, obviously they've made a lot of money the past couple of years. And in years where they did, you know, had really good seasons they didn't exactly offer 50 50 split in revenues back then so I understand the players point of view but you know the owners are going to be out a lot of money this year and I'm wondering is would deferred compensation for the players be maybe one solution where you say you know well we don't have the money now but obviously when the economy comes back when when we're past this pandemic the coffers will be full again and we can kind of compensate you or at least maybe or maybe, maybe not you know a dollar for dollar but but uh, you'll get some of that money back down the road. Is that something that would be feasible? Or are there any kind of solutions we could see to uh, get the players and, and owners maybe a, both a fair deal?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. The deferred payment is 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 a decent idea, and you're right. I don't think it could be it could be dollar for dollar. Um, and, I mean, the, one of the things I think is getting lost here is that it's – I think when you see 50-50 ownership split, you think, okay, players get 50%. Great. Owners get the other 50%. It's like yeah. – that's not. It's more so the team gets fifty percent because, like, the money you know, the five billion dollars in revenue that MLB splits, uh, or you know, eleven billion and a half, uh, you know, split into five or split half into five billion, isn't doesn't just go into you know uh, the the Steinbrenner pockets. It it gets try it gets you know if you look at the Mariners, they are doing. I think it was a twenty percent pay cut for all employees making sixty thousand or more. Like it does take a substantial amount of money to uh to run a baseball organization and there are you know thousands of mlb employees or team employees who are seasonal or uh who are just you know your normal hr or accountant or something that are taking pay cuts you know that they also are part of that half half a billion or whatever excuse me uh five-ish billion dollar split that would potentially be happening so i think we have a bad a bad you know um uh, reluctance and same thing for myself. I, I'm guilty of it too, of this idea of thinking like, oh, owners are being greedy. It's like, well, there's also people who are being hurt by this beyond just, you know, they're billionaire owners, they're multimillionaire players, but then there's the $60,000 employee in Seattle who's got to take a 20% pay cut uh, because of not their fault, but a potential holdout that could extend on. If, you know, MLB and the players and the players and the owners don't continue to play baseball, you know, if healthy circumstances do come about. So strikes do have that ability to hurt, you know, others and just kind of stinks for them. Well, frankly, and well.
2: If, if, it, if they don't come back at all, the pay cut's going to be the least of their problems because yeah, they won't have yeah. a job and all that. Like yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's dead on.
0: You know, David, you touched a little bit about the player safety side of it, which it's interesting that this this proposal got leaked out, and and there's there's no kind of idea of like what kind of precautions baseball is going to take uh, to ensure player safety. And I know that's something that they've got to work on. It's got to take a while to to figure out what they're going to do. But um, what's your kind of sense on how willing the players are to jump back into this? I know some players like Whit Merrifield has tweeted a couple of tweets of of like let's go, let's play some ball and and, uh, you know, other players have, have, have been kind of chomping at the bit, but then there's other players who I think are want to play. And Sean Doolittle, I think, had a really, really eloquent th- uh, string of tweets today um, kind of expressing he wants to get back out there, but he wants to do it uh, with proper precautions. And there's certainly players out there that um, have underlying medical conditions, like Tim Hill, who's a former uh, Royals left-handed reliever, who's a former cancer survivor, uh, who could be at risk. So what's which kind of your sense on what, you know what player? what's the willingness of players to get out there and what kind of, I guess, precautions do you think will have to be taken to ensure their safety?
2: So I want to try to say this the best, the least um, politically divisive way possible. Uh, so many players land on the side of the spectrum that I would not be surprised if many don't really believe this is much of a threat. Um, and because of that, I think there are quite a few. I'm guessing that are just ready to go, and they don't care one way or another. Um, some of your favorite players actually fall in that category, and you just don't want to know about it. Um, and that's okay. They can they, they can believe what they want to believe. That's fine. I, I don't care what they, as long as they're not hurting anybody. I don't care what they do as, as, in their personal life. But so I, I think a lot of players are in that boat. Um, there are a lot who are not. The like you mentioned, Sean Doolittle, uh, Jake Deakman uh, tweeted the other day or yesterday, I don't know, all the days run together, who knows what day it is, <laughs> um, that the the proposal is a joke. Um, and that's the guy who's got Crohn's disease. You know, he, he's, he's at risk. David Dahl is another player mentioned in the past an article. Uh, he had his spleen removed in 2015, I think. So <clears throat> there, are, there are probably more players than we will realize who just don't care and want to get out there for various reasons. But... I think there are a a, a handful that have very serious questions and you know i'm I'm not enough of a health expert to really know but i don't understand how you could play during this without testing every single day and if you test every day and let's say you've got a 50 man roster because you've got a 30 30 30 man regular roster and the 20 man taxi squad they're talking about 50 times 30 is 1500 um that's 1,500 tests a day right there. And that doesn't take into account coaching staffs, umpires, b- broadcasters, stadium personnel. But still has to be there to help facilitate this or that, even though there's no fans there. And I mean, th- there's I-, I feel like you have to be administering thousands of tests every day. And if those tests aren't available to the general public, they shouldn't be available to baseball. I mean, I, th- I think we I think we realistically know that they probably would be. Um, I mean we saw what happened in the NBA and when when Rudy Gobert tested positive that nobody could get a test and all of a sudden they found a bunch um, and that's just the reality of life but I I just don't I don't know how well that would fly if we don't have enough tests for the general public um, to, to test everybody every single day and I think you have to I, I just think with something of this nature that is so contagious you have to be testing maybe even twice a day I mean I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that doesn't do anything. Maybe it does. But um, I think I think that's the biggest step. Um, and that's also part of why they're saying we're not going to start until June because it gives another month still to ramp up all that testing, which, you know, we're supposedly supposed to be ramped up a month and a half ago. But, you know, you know how that goes. Anyway, it's <clears throat> that's, that to me is what has to happen. And I think for the players who are – worried about their health and worried about the health of their manager who might be in his sixties or their first base coach who might be in his sixties or seventies even, or the umpires who, you know, there there's, there's so many people involved here. I mean, look, Denny Matthews is going to go call a game. Denny Matthews is not young. He's, he's at risk. And yeah, maybe you could probably get away with him not talking to the players or being around them or anything because, you know, he doesn't have to be talking to them every single day, but there There's a lot of risk out there. and yeah, you know, I just I don't know how you start a season without being able to test everybody every day at the very least, just to know who needs to be quarantined and who doesn't. So uh, there, there's a there's a lot of hurdles to clear from a health perspective.
0: Yeah, I've seen some concerns uh, in England when we, you know, the Premier League is supposed to start in June as well, and there's already been some criticism of, of if they ramp up the testing there for those players. That will be a strain on the on their system over there. Uh, so I think I think if players are getting tested on a pretty regular basis and the rest of the population isn't, I think I think that would be a bad look, if not an actual detriment to our public health system. Sean, it, you know, I think we all want to see baseball come back, but with the, the health concerns and the strain that they could potentially could put on some of our healthcare systems and our supply chains. I guess we do have to ask. Like, should baseball even come back?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, okay. So if I, I, there's a spectrum, I think there kind of where it's like whatever it is. UC Berkeley and all those California, a couple California school district in, um or system, a college system, like basically said, okay, for even the fall semester, we're going full on digital, no classes. Like, okay, that's maybe too early of a call. Even though I'm ultra for safety it's like all right you might be pressing the button a little quick there um nfl still has a few months before their season would even kind of consider to be starting in september so they're mostly okay to not make a decision yet but i mean baseball should have started a month ago you know we're not that far off from what would eventually be the all-star break i mean long kind of long point short here we're already Maybe what, 20-ish percent, 25% of the season? I mean, it, it would stink to have no baseball, but it's not as if like we're delaying something or canceling something that is still months away, right? So it, it stinks to it would you know be terrible not to have a 2020 season. But if they we don't if we don't feel good about the safety, if players don't feel good about their own safety, if any of the employees that are needed to run a baseball game don't feel good about it, including broadcast crews and whatnot um Then yeah, I mean we're already getting to the quarter mark of the century, the century of the season, and we're not. You know, eventually we'll be at the halfway point, and it doesn't seem like baseball is going to be starting anytime soon. So it's like at some point it's going to just be better off rather than risking you know exposure to just say forget it. You know what, we don't have a 2020 season. It stinks, but it is what it is, and it's better. You know, players don't feel safe. I'd rather have that. We're 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 already in the the the, the window to make that decision.
0: Yeah, it's inter- interesting. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about um, you know, Major League Baseball, and, and I think we all kind of assume there probably won't be a minor league baseball season this year. Uh, but then there's you know baseball at all sorts of lower levels. I you mean, know, the college you know baseball season's been canceled. Uh, a lot of summer leagues have canceled already. Although they, I think the Jayhawk League is still uh, up in the air. I think the Cape Cod League did cancel their season this year. Um, and then there's youth baseball, and we actually my my son's my son plays. We just got an email this week that says we're, we're on for June. Early June is when we're going to start games. And some of the measures they're going to take are, like, the players are going to st- – the, the, the only one parent is allowed to show up to the game. And the parents all have to sit, you know, six feet apart around the, the ballpark. The kid has to sit with the parent until it's their – unless, unless they're in the field or they're either up or on deck. Once they're on deck, they'll be in the dugout. They'll be the only person in the dugout, and then they'll go up to the plate – um, the, the, I think all the non-player personnel are going to wear masks, um, no spinning, obviously no high fives or contact like that. Uh, they're going to make it so that games don't overlap. So there's not a lot of people there at the same time, all these precautions. And then I saw in St. Louis, they had like a 47 team tournament with 500 players uh-huh. over the weekend. And I'm like, oh, geez. So, you know, at least the Wait. league my son's playing and is taking precautions, but I guess not everyone is. No.
1: No spitting. Come on, how are you gonna not spit at a baseball game?
0: <laughs> how can you play baseball no butt without batting?
1: Spitting? Jeez.
0: Yeah. So, so I imagine you'll see some of those precautions. Oh, the, inter- the other interesting one was the in their in their league, uh, the catcher has to set up two feet behind the batter, or two feet behind home plate, I guess. And the umpire is gonna stand behind the pitcher instead of rather behind <laughs> the catcher. What? So it's gonna be, yeah, yeah, it's gonna be a little weird. Uh, and then you know, in Major League Baseball, they're talking about doing robot umpires this year, which you know, perhaps that's another. So, you know, experiment to try out this year in a weird year that that perhaps gets adopted long term but uh, yeah it's gonna I think baseball is gonna look a lot different if it does come back this year it's gonna look a lot different on the field but I think we'll take it in any any version we can well, get
2: I, I I think that the other thing that we have to consider with any sport any any public entertainment is it's also good for the public to have it mm-hmm. and so if now, if there's back to my testing point, if there's one test per hundred thousand people, which is not the case, but and and baseball, the whole all all of the major leagues are getting a test for everybody every day, that's an issue. But if it's just a little bit of a discrepancy, I feel like you can spin it at least as saying, "Look, we want to have baseball for you, and to be able to do that, we have to take, you know, ten percent of your tests away to put them toward baseball." I think if that's the case. I think it's a different story because people it's it's a good thing it's, it's good to have back on people's televisions I think and, and to brighten spirits and all that and so you know there is there is a point where it's okay I think that they're taking some tests away as long as they're not taking a lot of tests away basically is what I'm getting at
0: <laughs> yeah Michael Jordan's been a hero lately I think because we, we, we have yeah. the last dance documentary which is about the only sports we have going for us right now uh, David, I did want to ask you, since you're here, I, Sean and I have kind of discussed this a little bit before, but uh, how do you see the Royals, maybe this pandemic season, affecting the Royals specifically? I know there's been a lot of talk about how are they going to handle their pitching staff. You know, they were talking about Brady Singer making the rotation. If there's no minor league season, then probably it seems like more likely that he's going to be on the team, if not to start the year, with a very significant amount of the of the time. How do you think the Royals handle him? And how do you think they handle the other guys who could be out a year of development because there's no minor League season?
2: Yeah, I would imagine, at least with Singer, Coar, and Lynch. And you might add Bubic in there. I don't I don't know. They, they seem to be that he's like a half step behind the other guys. And I, I think that's probably about right, actually. Um, but I think with those three, I could actually see them saying, look, if you're not going to pitch in the minors, you're going to pitch in the majors. And that's another question, by the way, totally off topic. But I'm really curious how service time is going to factor in for guys like that. Because if you've got a 50-man roster, all of a sudden, guys who are playing in the majors are getting service time now, and free agent clocks are good and wonky everywhere. So that's that's another question that I don't know the answer to. But from the Royals' perspective, I think that they would probably give those three guys a shot. And what's really interesting to me about that is – I mean we've seen it so many times talented players whether they end up staying staying t- at the top of the game or not sometimes they really hit the ground running and I I would never you know, put a dollar down on this but in an 82 game season if you're getting I don't know 35 starts from Stinger, Coar, and Lynch let's say it would not surprise me if they if they are dominant from the start you know before the league gets to know them and all that and the league really won't get a chance to get to know them because it's such a short season, they could they could put up a few more wins than we'd expect in a short season like that because of those guys catching lightning in a bottle for 10 weeks. Um, again, I'm not going to predict it or anything, but I my guess is if there's no minor league season, those guys are going to pitch, so we're going to see him at the big league level. Um, and, and In addition, Tyler Zuber, um, he'll probably be up as well. Daniel Tillo I think we'll, we'll get a bit of an opportunity too. So we'll get to see some young arms, which will be fun um yeah i, I don't know the, the downside you can't really put Sully Matias, um nick <laughs> prado and mj <laughs> melendez in the big leagues and they they really need a season of with the new development staff and all that they really need to play and whew, that's that's the rough part there um but from an arms perspective i think we it could actually make the season a lot more fun in kansas city than it would have been otherwise and and like i said in e two-game season, a lot of weird stuff can happen, so uh, that the Royals have that in their favor. Of course, they could also go like 14 and 68. Um, <laughs> it wouldn't that wouldn't surprise me either. So, um, but you know, they're going to avoid 100 losses, and that that's the important thing.
0: Yeah, that would really stink for for Suley Matias to have to look at that 148 batting average for another season. I know, season, not, have, not have a season to wipe that out. Um, no, but I think you're right. I think especially with expanded rosters, if they're expanded like 30. Probably gives you more of an opportunity to put some of those younger guys on the team, and you know you could even work them out in the bullpen. Have Daniel sure. Lynch go out for an inning and just see how he you know does against a couple left-handed hitters. Or uh, you could piggyback yeah. like
2: Lynch and Coar if you wanted to.
0: Yeah. So I think the weird op- weird season kind of presents some interesting opportunities to be creative with player development, and uh, and maybe it works out to the Royals' favor, and we'll have to see. Let's take a break, and we'll come back. We're going to talk about the biggest what ifs in Royals history. All right, well, it's What If Week at SB Nation, and this week we have an article up about some of the more interesting what-ifs in Royals history, some of the alternate universes and alternate paths the fate of the Royals could have taken had things gone a little bit different. I just wanted to take the chance to talk to you both and and talk about a what-if in Royals history. I know each of you had uh, something you you wanted to bring up. So, uh, you know, Sean, let's start off with you. What's your uh, what-if in Royals history that maybe could have turned out differently?
1: Yeah, so when you pitched this question to us initially my first thought was like okay well what if the royals drafted better in 2010 11 12 14 15 17 it's just like (laughs) like wait a second that doesn't work uh so i so after some thoughts and suggestion i'm gonna go with what if the royals rebuilt after 2017 when you know a a lot of the core guys left um stock has ultimately returned but uh, you know kane escobar Hosmer, am I missing anyone? It left, wait, no, wait, Davidson. Like, uh, so, but it, most, a, a lot of that kind of core team that we know and love left. Um, like, what if they rebuilt either in the winter of seventeen or at the All Star break of eighteen? And I mean, there were a lot of there was talent on that team that they could have sold from. I mean, you still had Kelvin Herrera, who I think was injured a little bit. Um, but you could have flipped him in the off offseason before he got injured. Um, you had, you know, Ian Kennedy, who wasn't great, um, but I think his value was higher than than it is now, even though he's had a good relief season. Uh, Duffy uh, was coming off a pretty dang good season. Um, Brad Keller just started to emerge, and you wouldn't flip him anyways. Uh, and then on the, the hitting side, I mean – you had Merrifield, who a lot of us have been saying that needed to be traded for a while, but <clears throat> he ultimately posted a five-win season in 2018. Um, you had Mustaka who they re-signed and didn't flip at the deadline. Um, you know, <clears throat> Alex Gordon really, was still they, there. They, they
0: traded him for uh, Brett, oh, yeah. Brett Phillips and uh, Jorge Yep, Lopez. yep, yep. All right, right,
1: sorry. I, I totally went for that one. Um, I was thinking that he, he was worth almost two wins the, uh, with the Royals, but you're right, you're right. Um, Alex Gordon, who didn't. I don't I think he had whatever the 10 and 5 rights but um there were a couple guys that at least like you think he could have got something for that had good first you know had good 2017s or were having at least a good first half of 2018 that ultimately everybody just kind of stood still other than what they do Moustakis they did flip Herrera was that in 18 they flipped Herrera to Washington yeah okay but he but he only pitched 25 innings that year let me was he injured
0: that season am I wrong there Hold on, I think he had a brief stint on the deal with uh, was it a forearm injury?
2: Yeah, yeah, right. He pitched twenty five innings. Oh no, he 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 threw his he had a he left a game with a forearm injury mm-hmm. and then got traded okay. like a week later. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, that's right. Right,
1: I was thinking like I I know he got traded, but I, okay. But there was but there were some cases of guys who like if they would have rebuilt after seventeen. And I mean, some of us were calling for it would have been totally st- not stupid, but it would have been totally crazy if they rebuilt after 16 or after 15. Uh, but a lot of us have been calling for a few years of a rebuild and it never really happened. So that's my what if is um, the the rebuild that still hasn't happened, but the rebuild that could have happened would be a lot further along than where they would. Now, they didn't get in my opinion. They didn't really get great pieces necessarily for everything. They did trade. Um, but, I mean, you still are kind of taking more lottery tickets if you're trading a lot of those guys that, you know, we had kind of uh, have, you know, pegged to be traded. So that's that's my
2: what if.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of different what ifs I think you could have taken um, with, with the rebuilding too. Like you could have, what if the Royals rebuilt after the 16th season? You know, maybe, mm-hmm. I, you would, I agree, you couldn't have traded everyone after right after winning a championship, but you could have traded maybe a, a few more guys with a year left, you know, like Hosmer and Mustakas and and a year before they hit free agency, or perhaps even that summer, even though they were kind of in a pennant race. So maybe that, that makes it a little more difficult to, to trade them. The other direction you can go is what if they just held on to everyone throughout yeah. and through 17 instead of trading Wade Davis, instead of trading draw Dyson. Um, you know, What if you just hold on to those guys? Uh, do, does the pennant race work out a little bit differently if you have Wade Davis? I don't know. You know, It's not like they're that close at the end, but – they were hanging in there for a while and maybe Wade Davis makes a difference in some of those games and things kind of finish out differently. So a lot of different ways that could have gone. Uh, and it's kind of interesting to think about the alternate uh, universes that that could have taken. Uh, what do you have, uh, David, as, as your what if?
2: What if the Royals never traded Brett Saberhagen? Oh, in the, after uh, '91,
0: that, uh, that, that hurt me to the core when that happened. Uh, so yeah, that I would like was, to do that. I would like to see, I would like to go to that alternate universe.
2: Yeah, because I mean, they played him in 91, 92. They obviously were, they, they started off. I think that was the year they started one and 16, which that, that just torpedoed the season. But you know, maybe, maybe they don't start one in 16. if They've got Brett Saberhagen to pair with Kevin Apier. And then 93, they've got Saberhagen, Apier and Cone. I mean, come on. They, they lost, they, they, they were down by 10 games. They lost the division by 10 games in third place behind the white Sox. They pitched Mark Gardner for (laughs) 100-something innings with a 6-plus ERA. Chris Haney made 23-24 starts with a 6-plus ERA. You're telling me you don't replace one of those two with Brett Saberhagen, that they don't make up a few games? And then maybe if they're a few games closer, maybe they make a big trade at the deadline. You know, I I don't know that it would have necessarily changed history too much, but, I mean, gosh, Greg Jeffries, uh, Keith Miller, and Kevin McReynolds, they... You know, they didn't do much. Um, Miller was okay in ninety two. Greg Jeffries was fine and brought back Felix Jose, who had a good year, I think in ninety four, maybe he was good. Um, McReynolds was a disaster. I mean the whole the whole thing was just it was bad. And you keep one of the best pitchers in baseball to pair with two more of the best pitchers in baseball, that that's a that's a really difficult gauntlet to run through if you're an opposing team. So and and, and plus think about that too, if they get in the playoffs if they somehow found a way to win the division in 93 and make up those 10 games and you get in the playoffs with those three fronting your rotation, I I mean, geez, they could have won a title that year. Truly. They really could have won a title with those three and we'll never know because we got to experience Kevin McReynolds and, <laughs> and uh, hate every minute of watching him. Cause I was, I was, uh, that, that trade was made before the 92 season. I turned seven in 92. And even as a seven year old, I remember, turning to my parents and me like, this guy sucks. <laughs> and, and it was, it, it was just awful. Um, so yeah, don't, don't let's go back in time and not trade Brett Sabregan.
0: Yeah. That, you had a good scouting eye at the time. I remember Ke- the thing I remember <laughs> about Kevin McReynolds is that he, he only played baseball as, as a means to fund his hunting. <laughs> Cause he would, he'd yes. much rather be hunting in Arkansas than playing baseball. And so he just kind of tolerated the baseball season in order to get to hunting season. Uh, that, that is such an underrated bad trade because like, the Jermaine Die for Navy Perez trade, at least there was the you know the the, the money was a big factor, right? Mm-hmm. Trading David, they had to trade David Cohn to the Blue Jays in like a week because they came back from the strike and the, the team didn't really have an owner anymore, so they were kind of under under duress. The, the Saberhagen deal was such a a uh, unforced error. I mean, they didn't it have was to a, trade. It was a baseball
2: deal. There wasn't there wasn't yeah. money involved. And I forgot about this too. Bill Pecota was in that deal. I yeah. love Bill Pecota, and maybe maybe I shouldn't have. He's probably a player who, if I watched him today, I'd be like, get him off the field. But at the time, everybody loved Bill Pacoda because he's that super utility guy. I mean, they could have used him too, honestly. So it was, ugh. Yeah, and it just it, so, it, I, it just didn't uh, make any
0: sense because if you're going to go for it, then go for it with Sabre. And if you're not going to go for it, then get younger players than what they got. But they kind of split right. the difference and got. I mean, Jeffries was kind of young, but he, you know, he'd been in the league for a couple of years. McReynolds wasn't really that young anymore. I, I, I just didn't, I guess. I I think they wanted to fill some holes in the lineup because the farm system wasn't producing like it had before. Right. But yeah, that was just a, was a very frustrating trade that didn't really work out either. So it um, still makes me sad. Yeah. So that's a good one. Um, so yeah, my what if trade? What if is kind of along those lines. I just I I wrote an article a couple of years ago about some of the trade rumors and some of these have been kind of reported as like this was going to happen. It just fell apart at the last second. So I just like to think about some of the what-if trades that almost happened in Royals history. So like one of the big ones is Bob Dutton was on a podcast talking a couple years ago. The Royals had a deal for Carlos Beltran in, in the spring training of 2003 to go to the Texas Rangers uh, in exchange for a young infielder by the name of Michael Young. Uh, young ended up being a terrific player. Multiple All-Star games, really the exactly the kind of player the Royals love. Puts the ball in play, good contact. Um, you know, could run a little bit, can uh, can field a little bit. Um, would have been a perfect kind of player for them, but uh, they they couldn't get a deal done in, in spring training. And then the Royals get off to a hot start in 2003, and they can't trade Carlos Beltran at that point, and so they don't trade him until the next year. And when they deal him to Houston, uh, the other Carlos Beltran trade is that he was the Yankees were in on him in 2004. And, of course, the Royals were really in on getting a third baseman. They needed to get a third baseman for the future. Little did they know that Alex Gordon would be available in the draft just a couple years later, but they had to get a third baseman. So the Yankees, wanting to get Beltron, showcased a young second baseman at third base to show the Royals he could play third base. His name was Robinson Cano, and the Royals took a pass on him in order to get Mark Tian, who's a great guy, but was kind of a, an okayish ball player. Probably, certainly not as good as Robinson Cano. Um, then there's the... Um, <laughs> The one I really love is the one that Jeffrey Flanagan wrote a really good article about a couple years ago. Uh, the Royals were kind of shopping Brent Main, their catcher, in the late 90s because uh, they had Mike McFarlane already. And I guess the Astros were really interested in in him. And they offered a young outfielder who had been a basketball player at the University of Arizona, a speedster who the Royals the Royals were in on speed. And the Royals said, hey, we got a deal, uh, Brent Main for this young guy. But the Royals said, wait a minute, we, we, get, we have to insist. We need to get a major league piece back. We need Major League reliever Al Osuna, and the Astros said, "No, that's too much." And of course, and so they end up saying no, and they they turn to the Cleveland Indians and say, "Hey, do you want our young speedy outfielder in exchange for your left-handed hitting catcher Eddie Tobinsey?" And the Indians say, "Yes, we'd love to have Kenny Lofton." And, and of course, he ends <laughs> up becoming a, an All Star and a Hall of Fame uh, caliber player. So, there's a bunch of what-if trades out there. Um, yeah, Casey Kochman was once offered, I guess, supposedly for Mike Sweeney. Uh, Karchman wasn't great, uh, so I don't know if that I would really regret that. But supposedly they also talked about a young Irvin Santana at the time. Uh, there was one blockbuster I really liked from the late '80s, about the around the same time they the made the Saberhagen deal. Uh, they they once shopped Danny Tartable and Kevin Seitzer to the Red Sox for Wade Boggs uh, when Boggs was in, his, was in his prime. So a lot of interesting one of deals that that didn't end up happening. Some of them, I guess, probably for the, you know a lot of those deals, <laughs> the roles are so bad it wouldn't have made a difference really. Uh, but it's it's kind of interesting to think about what if we had had, you know, Robinson Cano or Michael Young or, or Kenny Lofton through the '90s. Uh, that would have uh, at least been interesting to watch and uh, an improvement over some of the players we had to well, see out
2: there. But but okay, think about a Cano deal. Yeah, would he have made the Royals a winner? Absolutely not. But is he a better trade chip in yeah. three and a half years than Mark Tian? Absolutely. <laughs> All of a sudden, you've got a guy you're trading because you're 68 and 94. <laughs> who can actually bring you back something of value? I mean, I I don't remember what the Royals got for TM when they traded him to the White Sox, but Chris they to, Oh, was that was the Chris Getz that deal? Was the Chris so, deal. yeah, clearly it couldn't have been worse. <laughs> I mean, I, so yeah, I, I think that they it may, he may not have actually changed their fortunes while he was in Kansas City, but something like that you can actually get somebody for him instead yeah. of you know Chris Getz. <laughs>
0: So, but, so in, maybe the Royals make that deal. Maybe he doesn't get booed at the 2012 All Star game, too.
2: Oh, maybe he gets home on. run in the, in the home
0: That's run exactly derby. Yeah.
1: And <laughs> I Dang it. I, go, I was going to say, who, are we gonna,
0: who do we boo at the 2012
2: All Star game? <laughs> Sorry, oh, well. it. It's Billy Butler. Yeah. yeah. Then you boo Billy <laughs> Butler. And that all ultra- The butterfly yeah. effect. But,
0: Billy Butler ends up on the uh, Yankees. <laughs> 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 well, uh, let's wrap things up with our Royals review reviews. Uh, David, what do you have for us this week?
2: Uh, so, I think last time I was on, I talked about a different book than this. Um, but I recently, not, I guess it's not as recent as it feels like, but I traveled and asked for some recommendations on books. And a couple of different people told me the same thing. The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. Not sure if you're familiar with it, but basically it is a book. It's a nonfiction that's written um, in a narrative style that basically talks about the Chicago Fair in 1893 and um, the serial killer who used the Chicago Fair to lure his victims. Um, it's really cool book because it's sort of like, I don't know if you read it, um, but how it goes back and forth it, it, between times. But in this book, it goes back and forth between the building of the Chicago fair, the world fair. And this guy who murdered like, more than 20 people, um, lured him to lured them to Chicago because of the fair um, utilized that to his advantage. It just goes back and forth between the stories. And what's really crazy is, Is at the start of the book, I was just like itching to get to the chapters about the serial killer, you know, because he he was more interesting at the start because it was a lot of just bureaucratic stuff about Chicago getting the fair and all that. But then as the book went on, I actually was finding it more interesting how the fair was built and and and, you know, the they wanted to have this massive structure um, and they turned down a proposal from a guy named Eiffel. Because they thought that he would because they wanted to top the Eiffel Tower from the Paris World Fair. Um, but they said no, because they thought that he was going to, to kind of underdo it, basically. So that his original would be would be the best. and they ended up taking a proposal from a guy named Ferris. I don't know if you've heard of the Ferris Wheel or not, but <laughs> that was, and so like stuff like that, it got it got really that side actually became more interesting as the book went on. But um, honestly, nonfiction book that you don't even realize is nonfiction because it's such a crazy story. Um, really fast read. I I would highly recommend it. It's the the Devil in the White City by Eric Larson.
0: Yeah, I and like books uh, like that. Yeah,
2: the
1: Leo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese was supposed to make a movie out of it. Um, yes, but it's now going to be just a t- just a TV show on Hulu. And Mar- Leo is not going to be in it, but they are making it. So that's a little you could read I will the book and then complain about. You, you can read the book and then complain about how much better the book is than the series when you watch both.
2: So, <laughs> Although, stuff like that, I feel like television and movies actually does do well. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a chance that it could be at least on par. And and it, it will be really nice to get some visuals. Per I mean, from my perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, good. That's good Good to have a book review because we certainly have a lot of time to sit around and read now. So I appreciate yes. that. <laughs> Sean, what do you have for a
1: Um... On a side note, I'm working on Future Value, uh, the book by Eric and, uh, Eric Hagen and Kylie McDaniel. Um, I'm only about a quarter of the way through it, so I'll give kind of a quarter review. It's really, really good. If we're talking about books, um, it's basically it's 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 a primer on how the scouting process works. Um, And how teams are structured and how organizations are structured, Um, it goes in a lot of detail just at the very beginning about um, the whole system of baseball and how teams value players. Um, And there's a lot of really great anecdotes, anecdotes from uh, Kylie McDaniel's time with the Braves, but he also spent time at other organizations. But it's a lot of, lot of really great inside baseball moments that they talk about. You know, Kylie sitting in a draft room and they're all pitching around and you know at one point Kylie was the only analyst um on the well i think it's when he's with the orioles he was the only kind of analyst uh in the organization and so anytime they 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 wanted to reaffirm their beliefs in a player that they're scouting they would ask him and he'd be like oh yeah the numbers look great and so basically it's just kind of a lot of cool really behind the scenes stuff and they talk to scouts they talk to Heads of scouting departments, GMs, just kind of all behind the scenes or, or all off the record. Um, but it's really great. I'm only about a quarter the way through, so I will finish it and you know write up a proper review of it. But that is my um, kind of Royals review. Review. It's uh, it's a really really good book, and you don't have to be an expert on baseball. Um, not that I am, but you don't you don't have to be an expert on baseball to enjoy the book. It does a really really good job of even the little intricacies that you might not be familiar with with contracts and how organizations are run they go into really deep detail just you know 50 or 60 pages in so highly recommended i'm sure it's only going to get better and um yeah there's there's a lot of really good info in it future value it's the name of the book
0: yeah i always like those baseball books that kind of give you a peek behind the curtain the stuff you don't get to see and uh so yeah that definitely sounds like one to check out so think yeah thanks for that um so, yeah, just mine. I, mine's just really a simple one. Um, I run really into Diamond Mine Baseball. I know uh, out-of-the-park baseball is like the gold standard for baseball simulation because it has really cool a, you know, AI where you can offer trades and it can reject it or whatever, and then you can play multiple seasons like within a whole weekend. Uh, but I like Diamond Mine Baseball just because it's kind of pared down and, ba- you know, there's no visuals really. It's just like you're staring. It's like Stratomatic. You're just staring at a, an empty baseball field with, with lineups filled out. And, it, and you can still simulate, like, a, a baseball season using um, either real stats or you can use um, Zips projections. And so my big news is that, you know, their, their 2020 Zips projections came out last week. Uh, I, I just downloaded it. I'm going to probably – I haven't had time this week to, to get to it, but I'll probably spend some time this weekend doing some simulations and, and seeing different versions of the Royals and see how they do. Uh, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It's just another way to kind of, um, you know, pretend like you're the GM and I like diamond mine because it's, you can be God. You can just basically control everything, set the rosters. however you want it, you can, you can have injuries on or you can have injuries off. Um, so I, I kind of like that aspect of it. And It's, it's more stripped down than um, out of the park baseball, which is a fun game too. And you could lose uh, a lot of time. And then that's part of the reason it, it sometimes it intimidates me a little bit to the, to the point where I think I have to spend like a lot of time on it to make, to do it Right. So I think Diamond Mine is something where I can pick up and then and leave it off and, and pick it back up, in, in, you know, a couple of days or a week later or something like that. So just to let you know, 2020 projections are out. They're using Dan Zamborski Zips projections. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll probably do a report on that, how the Royals did um, with, you know, running projections a number of times, but it's a lot of fun. You can you can simulate a whole season in like five, five seconds really if you wanted to. Uh, so, yeah, if you have some time, um, if you have some time you want to kill and you want to see how the baseball season uh, plays out, Check out Diamond Mine Baseball, and they—it's weird—they don't—they don't market themselves at all. <laughs> it's such a good game, and they don't market themselves at all. But so it's kind of my little secret. But um, yeah, check it out. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, I do want to thank Sean and David for being on the show, and uh, thanks to our readers and listeners for visiting our site. And we'll talk to you. next week. All right!